Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about uh, expectations and uh, managing expectations, managing expectations of ourselves, managing expectations of life, managing um, expectations of each other. Uh, this, I believe, is actually, believe it or not, one of the secrets of life and one of the secrets of happiness. And I'll give you an example just to start off with, I, which I think everyone can more or less relate to. Um, imagine you, you go to a movie and everyone's raving about this movie. It's so good. You know, it's gotten the best reviews and your friends are telling you, oh, you're going to love this thing. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. And then you go and you see the movie and they say, well, what'd you think? Did, did you love it? And you go, you know, it was okay. I, I liked it. And it's like, well, what's the matter? Well, I thought it was going to be better because the people were raving about it. I just thought it was going to be better. Like, I think everyone can, can, can identify with that experience. Um, and, and yet the irony is if you were, were to say to them, but did you enjoy the movie? And you say, yeah. And then a lot of times people say like this, you know, I wish I had seen the movie before everyone started raving about it, because then I would have really have enjoyed it quite a bit. So, so the person in this example who isn't loving the movie that they just saw agrees that it was a really good movie. So what's the problem? The problem is very clear. They were expecting too much. Because they were expecting so much, this piece of merchandise, which was a high-quality piece of merchandise, all of a sudden in their eyes is like, eh, not so great. But it's not because of the merchandise itself. The merchandise itself was actually quite good. It's this X factor. And this X factor is called expectations. Because they had overly high expectations... This thing, which was legitimately good, became disappointing in their eyes. So that, I, like I say, I think that's an example that, that everyone can relate to. And, and you can put it, you, there's a million applications to this, by the way. You go to a restaurant, oh, I hear it's so great. You know, someone recommends a, a vacation to a certain place. You go on vacation to this certain place. Oh, you're going to love this place. It's so great, you know? People build things up in their mind, and then they're not able to enjoy something that's actually legitimately good. So, it seems to me like life is challenging enough without turning legitimately good things into bad things. I mean, thank God for any of the good things, right? The last thing you want to do is to take the good things and turn them into bad things. So, so, so how are we doing that? How are we doing this sort of like reverse alchemy, you know, this like anti-alchemy? We're doing it through overly high expectations. So, so the antidote to that is what if you just expect nothing? You know, sometimes I go to movies that people hate and I end up enjoying them. This is, this is, a, this is a, another application of what I'm talking about from another angle. Like, I remember a movie that, that was roundly vilified, you know, and, but I went anyway. 
and my expectations were subterranean. <laughs> they, were, they were low. They were underground. They were so low. And, and because of that, I, legit, I liked the movie. I actually liked the movie because everyone hated on it so much. So because I was expecting nothing, you know, there were, there were a lot of good things in that thing. And, and each one of them I enjoyed. Okay. So now I want to show you an application of this from the Torah. And it just, an, in, just a, an ingenious, ingenious, ingenious application of this. And it comes from Yaakov, from Jacob, from, you know, who's considered by many, many of our sages to be the greatest human that ever lived. Okay? Yaakov Avinu. So, how does this work? Well, let's, let's kind of put ourselves in his, in his, in his, in his shoes for a moment. And, and, and appreciate the, the, the tough spot that he's in. He's just been with Lovin, who he's like escaped with his family and children, which is like, was no small feat. And remember, just Kabbalistically, Lovin is, 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 is identified with the snake from the Garden of Eden. So like getting out alive was, was, was no small feat. And, and Yaakov is able to do it. And Right after he escapes from, from Lovin's clutches, he's told that Esav, who he ran away from 22 years beforehand, because Esav said he was going to murder him, that Esav is waiting for him with 400 soldiers. Can you imagine going from one event to another event? This is the amazing thing about Yaakov. Yaakov struggles his entire life. And um, Rabbi Tzvi Blanchard pointed out uh, many years ago, my wife shared this with me, she, she heard him say this, uh, sort of a, a fascinating just overview of, of Yaakov. Yaakov is the only person you see from, from the time from before he's born in the Torah to his growing up, to his being a father, to his being a husband, to his being a son-in-law, to his being an employee, to his being a grandfather, <laughs> it's it's to him being a warrior. You 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 see um, you see the most multifaceted version of one person in the Torah in Yaakov of of anyone, and um, of being a son. And of being a grandson. Really, really quite amazing. Quite amazing in that way. Um, of being a brother-in-law. Or a, or a nephew, I should say. And I think a nephew and a brother-in-law. Uh, so anyway, anyway. Fascinating that... And, 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 and we see that in, in, in almost every aspect of his life, he's met with great challenges. And here's the most extreme. He's going from Levin right into 400 soldiers who want to wipe out him and his family. Right? This is going to be the end of the Jewish people right from the outset. Okay, so now Yaakov has this, this promise from God. Because why is Yaakov even kind of a, approaching Asaph, his brother, Right? Because God has said, go back to your land. The time has come. 
for you to go back to your land and 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 the promise of God is there that he's going to be okay but so it says that Yaakov is afraid and he's distressed so so the commentators put that together as not two separate ideas that he's afraid and he's distressed but rather he's distressed that he's afraid because it shows a lack of faith because if god is promising him that everything is going to be okay and that and that you know god is watching over him why should he ever be afraid so he's distressed that he's actually worried because it indicates to him that that shows on a lack of faith that he has um, and this is something that I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, what does it mean to be God-fearing? You ready for this? God-fearing means that you're not afraid of people. Someone who's truly God-fearing is not afraid of people because only, they only have reverence. Yer Right? This, this is a very high level. This is a very high level to be in. And I know that's something that I, I've wrestled with. And I'll just give you a... Um, a tool to work with here, something that I tried and it was helpful to, helpful to me, which is I was on a job one time and the, the executive producer was especially scary to me. And, and I imagined a ring around them, almost imagine like a, a hula hoop or, you know, one of Saturn's rings, if you will, you know, just around them. And I said to myself, their influence goes up to that ring, but no further. In other words, their reach toward me just goes a few inches in front of them, and then it stops. And, and when, I, when I would deal with them, and I would imagine that ring around them, you know, like a hula hoop around their waist, whatever it is, that was very helpful to me, because it reminded me that, that God's running the world, and, and not to be afraid of people. Okay, so let's get back to this idea of managing expectations. Because Yaakov gives us this fantastic, this classic um, uh, case history of, of how to do it. And it's something that I realized. I, I didn't really see it written up here, but it, it's in the words. It's in the words. And believe me, Yaakov Avino was doing this. So, so Yaakov has, has a, a, a big thing to accomplish. And I, I can tell you from a... Um, from a storytelling standpoint, because that's kind of my job, I, I kind of tell stories professionally, you know, in terms of like teleplays, you know, TV shows, whatever. So, so the classic structure is what we call it a narrative arc, right? Or the character's journey. You know, there's all sorts of fancy things that you can call it. But in the beginning, a character has to start one way. And then in the end, he's got to be someone else. So let me give you an example. In the beginning of the movie, he's a big coward. At the end of the movie, he's a brave warrior. Right? At the beginning of the movie, he's stingy. At the end, he's very generous. At the beginning of the movie, he can't love. He's been too brokenhearted. It's too hard for him. At the end, he's fallen in love and he's happily married. Right? This is how every, every movie, every piece of literature has what's called this, this character arc. Right? And then the, 
Then you have to take the character through a journey from the beginning to the end to, to make him transform. And the better that process of the transformation of that character is, the more relatable and the more believable it is, the more you're affected by it personally and the more you like the, the piece, the movie, the play, whatever it is. Okay? So how you turn the character, how you make that essential shift when he goes from one personality to another personality, that, that takes great insight and great creativity and great knowledge of people and, and human nature and all the rest. You have to construct something that's a very believable way that someone will change. Okay? And you have to do it in a limited amount of time. Because one of the great um, screenwriting tips that I, that I heard was that, that the whole character's life should be leading up to the first scene of the movie. In other words, everything is leading up to the, like the first time you meet the character, his life is about to change. Right? So that's, that's kind of a cool thing. But now you have a limited amount of time in order to make a believable change. Okay, with that, with that in mind, right? Yaakov Avinu is told that Esav who he had to run away from, who wanted to murder him 22 years ago, is waiting for him with 450 so- with 400 soldiers. How is he going to affect a character change? In Asav, in what? A, a few minutes. Relatively speaking, right? I think it was longer than that. Maybe it was a few hours, but I, I don't know. But in terms of the process of giving the gifts, we're, we're going to go into the giving of the gifts right now. How is anyone going to change the mind of, an, of, an, of a mortal enemy like that in a short period of time? Yaakov does it. Yaakov accomplishes it. So we have to study how he did it, right? Because don't you want to know? This is like, wow. Let's, let's figure this out. It all has to do with expectations, by the way. Part of it, anyway. And... Uh, it says that, that, the, that the rabbis felt contained in these verses was the secrets of how to deal with your enemies. And, and in the Roman times, remember the Romans were a little bit like the Nazis. The, the Romans were really, like, really tried to wipe out the Jewish people. Really horrible. And um, it says that the rabbis would learn these verses before they met with the Roman government. And then they even say that one time the, this particular rabbi didn't learn it and the, 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 the negotiations went horribly, right? And the art scroll has a little note here which, which is really tells you something about Torah study in general. Why, why, because remember, the Torah is not a book. The Torah is the fabric of the universe. It, happened to, it, it, it exists in book form because it's been compacted down into book form. But really, it's really... The universe itself is made out of the Torah. So it says here that when you have a particular problem, or whatever it is, in other words, the Torah is a living entity. It's alive. The Torah is alive. So when you, when you uh, have a particular problem, if you look at it, you're going to see something different. You're going to see some nuance, some small thing which is going to allow you to make a better decision and give you insight. 
So, so that's just, you know, reason number seven billion to, to learn Torah on a regular basis. But anyway, what does Yaakov do? So let's get back to our main topic here about expectations. He decides he's going to give a series of gifts to Esav. Now, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's going to work. But, you know, it's got to be a really good gift. If you're like, like, you know, for, you know, Hanukkah's coming up. For, all, for those of us who are shopping right now, it's hard to find gifts, right? Like, can you imagine a gift that you give to someone that turns someone who wants to murder you into, like, a, an ally? I mean, that's a really good gift. Like, how do you do it? So it's, 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 so it's a little bit more complicated than that. So listen to what Yaakov does. Yaakov has all these flocks, and he's got something like it, something like seven flocks, right? That he's going to present to Esav as presents. And the first one is two hundred ewes; those are female sheep. So, can you imagine like this procession of two hundred sheep? Now, now he doesn't present them all at once. All right? Listen carefully. Yaakov gives the shepherd of each one of these herds that he's going to present to Esav the following instructions. And you can see this. This is chapter 32, verse 19. He says, you shall say, like Esav is going to see all of a sudden someone walking into his territory, like, you know, where his army is. He's going to see just like a, a shepherd walking with like 200 sheep. Like, what's going on? And, and, and Yaakov says to, to the shepherd, he's going to say, like, who are you? What are you doing? And Yaakov says, here's what you answer back. You shall say, your servant, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a tribute sent to my Lord, to Esav. And behold, he himself, meaning Yaakov, is behind us. That's, that's, that's what you should say. Now, now, Yaakov had another idea, which was that, first of all, he's not going to present all the gifts at once. That in itself is a big, very interesting idea. He's going to do it one at a time. But not just one at a time, like first comes one wave, then comes another wave. No. Very interesting instructions. When the first wave comes, when the first set of gifts comes, Asav shouldn't be able to see the next wave at all. So it kind of looks like this is the only gift. You understand? Because he can't see anything else. Okay. And now, think about it. Esav gets this giant presence, this, this, this big thing of wealth, 200, 200 sheep. And he's told, Yaakov is following behind. So what do you think Esav thinks is coming next? Yaakov, right? But now Yaakov sends, there was 200 female sheep. Now he sends 20 male sheep. Okay, now this is amazing. So Esav is thinking, wow, I got 200 female sheep. Now I've got 20 male sheep. 
they're going to mate with the female sheep. Now we're going to have like even more. Like this is like a whole business. He's giving me a whole business here. It's amazing. And he's told, oh, these belong to Yaakov. They're a gift to you. And Yaakov's following behind. Now remember, Esau can't see anything else in front of him. And then he's expecting Yaakov. And then what happens? Another set of presents. Now comes 200 female rams. And then after that, 20 male rams. (laughs) And then after that, I think it's camels, and then cows, and then bulls. Okay. Now, I want to tell you a study that I heard that I think is really interesting. This is sort of like the, the stuff you hear on, on, on podcasts all the time now, these, uh, these studies. So they, they did a study where they sort of were able to show statistical support, right? That if you give someone a bunch of chocolates, the last one tastes the best. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your own life, but, but the last one always tastes the best. And they were able to prove this, and <laughs> in this study anyway. By the way, these, this, the whole, this whole category of studies, which you hear about all the time now, you know, they write like best-selling books on these things and, and all the rest, are, are, are a little more controversial than, 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 than they widely publicize. And the, the reason is because they're, they're, not, they don't always, they're not always able to repeat the results of these things. And, you know, the scientific method is built on the fact that you should be able to repeat this always. Like, like that, that means that it's a, a scientific proof that if you follow these steps, you get the same results. But because people are so complicated, when it comes to these more sociological things, they're not always able to duplicate the results in people. Anyway, just a certain thing you should know. You can, whenever you hear what I'm about to tell you, these type of studies, you can always listen slightly more critically. But anyway, that, I don't want to ruin everyone's good time here. But, but anyway, the, 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 the bottom line is, is that they, they, they did this test where they presented people with chocolates, and then they said to them, okay... Now, this is the last chocolate you're, you're getting. And they notice that the people, they eat it slower, they savor it, they enjoy it more, because they know that that's the last one. Now think about it from the brilliant perspective of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov tells Esav, after each set of gifts, and Yaakov is following behind. <laughs> Which means... This is the last one, right? Which means that Esau is going to savor each one more than the other, and then he finds out, wait, there's a new last one. And then, no, 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 it can't be that, can't be that there's going to be another, another last one, and then there's another, another last one. And now his mind is getting blown, right? So it's like, look at what Yaakov is doing in terms of the Management of expectations, or if you want to get a little bit more edgy, the psychological warfare that's taking place here in terms of turning Asaph. Remember we talked about how do you turn someone believably in 90 minutes in a movie, right? How about turning someone who wants to murder you into a friend in a short period of time? 
Like that's, this is deep, right? What's going on? So, so, Esav receives these things one after another after another. And it's an amazing thing. And now, listen to this. Yaakov finally comes. And Yaakov bows down to him. Right? And, uh, and he introduces himself to Esav as, as Esav's servant. And this is, this is super deep. This is super deep. Because we know that Esav wanted that brocha that Yaakov got. And when, when, when Yitzchak gave Yaakov that brocha, he said that your brother is going to be your servant. And so what Yaakov is doing right now is he's, he's making Esav feel as though he got the brocha. Because Yaakov is putting is acting out this dynamic that Esav felt as though he lost out on. And now he's seeing it appear in front of his eyes, and now he's neutralizing that resentment from the bracha. An amazing thing. Amazing thing. Like all the the insight that Yaakov Avinu has in terms of in terms of just dealing with people. It's incredible. Um, and now, how effective was this? Let me tell you how effective it was. Because it says that Esav kisses Yaakov. And there's some debate about what the nature of that kiss was. In fact, there's even a medrash that says he kissed him on the neck. There's a medrash that says that Esav tried to bite his jugular vein and kill him on the spot. Right? But that there was a miracle, Yaakov's neck turned to marble, and Esav's teeth broke. The, the verse itself says that Esav kissed him and cried. So they want to say that he kissed him and, because he tried to bite his neck and then he broke his teeth. And because he broke his teeth from that pain, he cried. <laughs> like they fill in a whole story based on those words. But now listen to this though. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, no less than Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, right? So one of our greatest, greatest, holiest, holiest tzaddikim ever, says, you, and, 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 and the person who says the following, that the hatred of Esav for Yaakov is eternal, it's a chok. It's a chok, which means it's beyond the rational. You'll never understand it, but it, it, it permeates the fabric of reality. The person who said that, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, said, you know what? At that moment, Esav kissed Yaakov and meant it. In other words, the, the, the biggest anti-Esav guy you're going to find says, no, 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 no. At that moment, he loved him. He flipped back afterwards, but at that moment, he genuinely loved him. So there you see, wow, you're not going to get a more powerful testimony to the transformation of Esav, at least in that moment. And the efficacy of what Yaakov Avinu did, then that statement from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. 
he really turned. Okay. So I want to apply this to us. I want to apply this to our life, and I want to apply this to our own personal happiness. I told you expectations can, can, can take a good thing and ruin it. You can have a perfectly good thing. You can have a perfectly good meal, a perfectly good vacation, a perfectly good movie, a perfectly good woman or man in terms of you know, someone who you can marry, and you can absolutely ruin it with expectations. So how do we avoid it? How do we avoid it? So I want to drill down and um, offer an insight that, that I got, and, and I think hopefully God will be helpful. Here's what I think the problem is. Here's what I think the problem is. People say, you know what? I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, I'm worthy of good things. And therefore, I deserve this thing should be great. You just blew it. <laughs> you just blew it. You just blew it. I'm a good person? Check. No problem. I'm, I'm worthy of good things? Check. No problem. And therefore, here comes the problem, and therefore, this is going to be fantastic. How about, I'm a good person, I'm worthy, and I expect nothing. See, people link their, their self-worth and their values, they may, or, or their, 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 their self-worth and their self-esteem, they marry that to high expectations. But you don't have to. You can have tremendous self-worth, tremendous self-esteem, and also expect absolutely nothing. And can I tell you something? There's, there's a word for that. It's, I don't know if it's holy, but it's getting close to holy. If you can get to a place like that. And I'll give you another word for it. Humble. Humble. And humble in the best sense. I I think that this is a life-transforming idea. See, I think I think a lot of a lot of people a lot of people like they they, they don't know how to do this. No one ever told them this idea before. I can't I can't even tell you. Like if you're one of these people who like absolutely expects nothing and yet you have like you also feel good about yourself see unfortunately people who expect nothing for the most part are people who have been so dragged through the mud during their entire life that they're just these walking corpses they have zero self-esteem right so so it's not so intuitive to link these two ideas between feeling very good about yourself 
and, and like having very strong self-esteem and also expecting nothing. There's a secret here. There's a real secret here. And then you know something? If you're like that, well, you already feel good about yourself, so you're predisposed to having a good time, right? Because if you feel good about yourself, you're going to enjoy life more. So you already feel good about yourself, and now you're always finding things that you like. You know why? Because you're expecting so little. (laughs) Yeah. Now, expecting something so little doesn't mean that I'm asking for nothing. You can also ask for great things, but you're not expecting the great things. And with this, we can begin to understand one of the deepest things in the Torah, which is there's a region in heaven called the treasury of unearned gifts. And if you really feel as though you're, you see, if you feel as though you're deserving of something, you can't get from the treasury of unearned gifts because you're standing in the line of the people who deserve things. <laughs> so you know, you're not online for the treasury of unearned gifts. <laughs> but if you feel as though I really, I've got nothing coming my way, I'm a good person, happy, everything like that, I got nothing coming my way, then guess what? You're online for the treasury of unearned gifts. And that actually, that attitude, it's not just being humble. It's not just being able to enjoy much more of life than other people are going to be able to enjoy. Like sometimes, you know something? Someone will come to our house and they'll be a vegetarian. We don't know that they're a vegetarian. And so there's like all these like different dishes, meat dishes, chicken dishes, whatever it is. And they knew that we didn't know because sometimes people who are vegetarian don't like to tell the host that they're vegetarian because they, they're going to bother for them and everything like that. And they'll, they'll just put something together. And there's always like some salad or there's some vegetable dish or whatever it is. And I'm telling you, 10 out of 10 times I've seen people who are that way, put together a meal that they are delighted with. Because they're coming in knowing that the person doesn't know their needs, and therefore their expectations are very, very low, and then they end up getting like a little rice here, a little something there, and they're very, very happy with it. Like, just to me, like, just one of probably a zillion examples, but one I've I've, I've definitely seen with my own eyes. So, so again, this treasury of unearned gifts, if you're not expecting anything, if you don't feel as though you deserve something, see, that's another word for expectations. I deserve it. You deserve it. That is, that's, a, that's another toxic synonym for expectations, right? Get rid of this idea of deserve, you know? But again, I just, I, I want to make sure that we're communicating. I'm not telling you 
not to pray for, you want a Ferrari? Pray for a Ferrari. Really, there's no problem with that. If you feel as though that you can use that to sanctify God's name, why not? Have a Ferrari, have your mansion in Bel Air. Why not? Why not? But to say that you deserve it, that that's when it gets toxic. That's when it gets toxic. So again, I'm, 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 I'm telling you a, a, a spiritual level that, that I think that all of us have to strive for, and you can't strive for it unless you even know about it. So let's, let's just know about it one more time, okay? It's this level where you can feel great about yourself, where you can daven for wild wealth and wishes and whatever it is that you want, but not to expect it, in fact, to expect nothing, and not to feel as though you deserve it. So again, you're believing in yourself, you're believing in your own goodness, you're believing in the goodness of God, but you're not expecting anything. Right? And this entitles you to be online for the treasury of unearned gifts. <laughs> Ironically, right? It's, it's ironic. It's ironic because, because by, by surrendering the sense that I deserve it, and God, where's my payment? Where's my payment, God? By giving up on that, we actually entitle ourselves and open us up to the, to the most amazing thing. Now, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. I want to tell you one Hanukkah Torah from, from uh, the Yesh Kodesh, from the Piyasesna Rebbe. An amazing Torah. You've got to think about this Torah, though, because it's, it's deep, and it, it very much sort of like, kind of like ties up and everything we've been saying is, is leading up to this thought, okay? So it says that the, that, that the Maccabees found a Pach Shemen, right? That mean, excuse me. That means a jar of oil. And then everybody knows the Hanukkah miracle story that that, that jar was just supposed to last for one day. It, it, it lasted for eight days, and, and we have the miracle of Hanukkah. You all know this. But listen to what the Piyasesna Rebbe says. Amazing thing. He says a Pach Shemin was they just found the jar for Shemin. Like, listen to the words. A Pach Shemin doesn't mean a jar filled with oil. That's how everyone learns it. I mean, everyone learns it that way. He's saying a chiddush, saying something new here. He wants to translate a pach shemen as not a jar filled of oil, with oil, but a jar for oil that was empty. <laughs> right now he's actually making... The miracle even greater, but he's also giving us a spiritual insight about how to lead our lives. So let's take it one step at a time. It's an even greater miracle because they didn't even find a jar of oil. They just found a jar for oil. Okay? And then the miracle happens. Okay, so that's even a wilder miracle for Hanukkah. Okay? Okay, but now listen to to what he's saying on a deeper level that if you are an empty vessel, if you are an empty vessel, 
then you create the space for blessing to come in. What, what can fill our vessel in a negative way? Arrogance, expectations, feeling that we deserve everything A through Z, right? That, that sort of like then if someone, see like, have you ever had a conversation with someone who's really arrogant? You can't, whatever you say kind of bounces off of them because they're so already full. They're filled with themselves that nothing is going to get in because it just kind of bounces off of them. In fact, it says in Gomorrah Sota, I'm going to phrase it more colorfully, God bounces off of them. God says, I can't be around an arrogant person. Why? Because, I don't know if the Gomorrah puts it in these words, but if that person already thinks he's running the world, what does he need me for? Let him run the world, I'll go over here. Because their vessel is already filled. But to be an empty vessel means that, right, you're online for the treasury of free gifts. You, 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 can, you can receive. You don't have any expectations. You can, and, and now all of a sudden there's room for all of the blessing to enter into you. Now again, just because we, we're living in this crisis age of humanity where people have such terrible self-esteem, to be an empty vessel mean, doesn't mean, does not mean that you empty yourself of self-esteem. You know, in every version, in every version of every teaching, you have a positive view of yourself. You're a creation of God. You're Tzalem Elohim. You're created in God's image. That, that's the underlining premise of every single Torah that you're ever going to learn. Right? But you can, you can be that and you can also be an empty vessel because you're empty, not of self-esteem, but you're empty of expectations in the sense of deserving things. And then miracles can absolutely flow into you. The following are some questions and answers. Reversing the blessing on purpose. But I wonder if he realized that he was reversing it for us, for the Jewish people. No, he wasn't reversing the blessing at all. He was giving it back to his brothers. He was was phrasing it in a way that, that, that Asaph should feel as though he also got the blessing. But 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 he was not he was not giving away the blessing. No, I mean Yitzchak gave it to Yaakov, and that's the end of the story right there. But again, it was just managing expectations. Yeah, for, um, God's blessing, if it's the right thing, asking for Acknowledging that you yeah. want it, you yeah. desire it. Yeah. But if it's um, right for you. So, you know, there's a, there's a story, the, I believe it was by the Avne Nazer, um, that was the, the Kutzka Rebbe's son in law. Kutzka Rebbe's son in law was, was so great. Um, just one of the absolute greatest uh, Torah scholars in the world. And the Kutzka Rebbe found out about him and really took him to be his son-in-law. You know, the Kutzka Rebbe, you know, comes for you by name <laughs> to marry his daughter, to be his son-in-law. You know, this is, uh, you got to know the Avni Nazar's greatness. And then it turned out to be true. The Avni Nazar grew up to be, you know, one of the greatest. Uh, 
he became very, very ill, the Avni Nazar. Actually, they said, they actually diagnosed him that his brain was working so overtime that they said it was drawing power from the rest of his body. That's, that was actually a doctor's diagnosis at the time. Um, I mean, he, like a, you can imagine, like he must have had like a supercomputer going on in his brain. Anyway, so uh, someone came, a rabbi came, and, and, they, and in front of the Kutzka Rebbe, they, they blessed him and they said, you know, the, the Avnei Nezer, this, and he was young at the time, you know, that he's, he's so great and he's accomplished this and he's accomplished that and he's accomplished this and he's accomplished that, you know, in order to sort of like, um, to inspire Hashem to, to bring mercy, Rachamim, to him, right? And the Kutzka Rebbe heard this prayer that this person was saying and said, it's not true! He's done nothing. He's done nothing. And, 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 and starts, you know, on, with, with that vibe, with that energy, right? And people were alarmed, right? Like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? This person is trying to bring down this tremendous blessing for him, talking about all of his merits. And, and the Kutzka Rebbe explained, and this is why I'm telling you this story, that that you're making it sound like the Avni Nazar has already accomplished everything he needs to do. I'm taking a different tack. I'm showing how he has so much more that he needs to accomplish, and that's why he has to receive the blessing so that he can live longer, so that he can accomplish more. And so, I, I, I mean, my, my thought is... That, that if we phrase our prayer in that way, God, there's, there's so much more I want to do for, for you. And, there's, 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 I, and I need the strength to be able to do it. Please, God, allow me to do these things that I want to do for you. And then it's even better if you can somehow find a way to at least begin one or two of these things, so that you demonstrate your seriousness in actually wanting to do them. And then I think that that, that that, I think that that would be a good prayer. This whole idea of expecting nothing, okay? Um, For example, if I have an issue, let's say, physical issue, let's say my back, and I find out that if I do certain exercises, uh, there's a good probability that my back is going to get better. Yeah. And uh, I say, well, I guess if I do these exercises, I expect that my back will improve, okay? So I'm expecting something. Now, if it doesn't happen, I might get the attitude, well, I gave it my best, I tried, maybe I'll look for something else. But, but I'm saying that... Um, you know, or if let's say you wanted to get a, a ticket for some kind of presentation, and you find out you're only getting you're only going to hand out a hundred tickets. Well, if I make the effort to get get there in line, you know, you know, early, um, I'm making the effort, so I have an expectation that I'm going to succeed. Okay, there's no guarantee that I'm going to get anything, but you know, you have to say well. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't expect 
everything, okay? But I do expect that if I make effort, that, that my efforts are going to achieve something that's going to better myself. Okay, so um, I, I would just love to lose the word expect, period, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, so, I mean, that's, that's my approach. That's, that's what I'm recommending. Uh, there, there is something very, very deep that, that we should know about life which is that God is in charge of all of the results, but we are responsible for the effort. A very, 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 very big distinction. And, and, you know, I remember my father raised me very strongly on this point, which was that if you've tried your hardest and it doesn't happen, you haven't failed, it just didn't work out. In other words, the whole concept of failure implies that I control results. But if I know that I don't control results, that only God controls results, then there is legitimately no such thing as failure. It just didn't happen. Because the department that I'm in charge of, effort, if I know that I put in my full effort, then I have done everything that I can do, which is by definition success. So, so do you see how I'm eliminating the word expectations from, from, from this construct? It, it's, it's, it's like, I am just gonna try my hardest and God controls results, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.